0: well those very very famous words jesus says i give you a new commandment that you love one another i don't really know where to start with that i mean there is so much to be said and so many questions for a start that could be asked in what way is this a new commandment after all the great commandment of the old testament was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, as if they were one of your own. And why does Jesus here just command us to love one another? He's talking to the Christian community, to his followers, his disciples. Why doesn't he just say we're to love everybody? Because God loves everybody. And there are other places where he does command us to love all people. Some of you will know the story of the Good Samaritan. But here, Jesus tells his followers that their love is to begin with love for one another. And how, and this has been the big question that I have wrestled with for a long, long time. How can you command somebody to love? Jesus says that we're to love one another. He doesn't say that we're to serve one another. It's possible to serve out of duty or as an act of obedience, and it's possible to serve without loving. But Jesus says we are to love one another. Christian writers and thinkers have struggled with this. How does this love relate to the other kinds of love that we know? The love that two lovers have for each other when they're attracted to each other and they delight in each other and they desire to be part of the other. Or the love of a parent for a child a love which cares which guides which nurtures and which grows a love which gets up at two o'clock in the morning when they've been sick to clean them up and to clean up their bed or the easy love and delight of a friend for a friend a love which has common interests and shared secrets but St Augustine he was somebody who lived Uh, uh, about uh, 1,600 or so years ago, uh, and others spoke of another kind of love, a soul love. And that contains all of the above, but it goes beyond them. It is about delighting in another person. It's about wanting the absolute best for them. It's about building them up and desiring communion with them to be part of them and for them to be part of you so that you are one in a right and appropriate way and to be with them for eternity. Soul love is about joy and delight in the other. It's about service of the other. It's about kneeling down just as Jesus has done in the preceding verses before our reading where he's knelt down in front of the other and washed their feet soul love is about willing to be crucified for the other person so that they might be reconciled to god and have life real life so it seems to me that the really big question when jesus says love one another is yes but how And I would like to suggest from these readings, three possible helps. First of all, we need to know, with the help of the Spirit, that we are beloved. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. That is not just saying that Jesus' love is a model for our love. We're to love other people in the way that Jesus loved us. Yes, we are. It is also saying that Jesus' love for us is the source of our love for each other. We can love one another because we have begun to experience the love of God for us. When we believe in Jesus, when we receive him, we become part of a community which exists because he loves us. We enter into the community of the beloved. Some of us here will come from very happy families where we knew that we were loved. Some of us will come from homes where we never knew love here in the church that makes no difference because here we are all and each beloved not by the priest or minister or pastor but by the lord jesus in john's gospel and we've noticed this in the last few weeks we'll see that john doesn't usually refer to himself by name He doesn't say John or he doesn't say I. Instead, he describes himself as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, I don't think that's putting himself up above the other disciples, you know, saying, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved and you're the disciples who he doesn't love. You know, Peter, James uh, uh, and Nathaniel. Jesus loved them uh, and Mary just as much. Instead, I think that by simply writing the disciple who Jesus loved, he's opening up his experience to all and to each of us. When you read John, you are the disciple, the follower who Jesus loved. You are the disciple who Jesus loved. You are the disciple who Jesus loved. I am the disciple who Jesus loved. The disciple who Jesus loved sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. You're invited to sit next to Jesus. Indeed, the language is more powerful than that. It is more intimate. The Greek tells us that John lay his head on Jesus' chest. You are invited to lay your head on Jesus' chest. Jesus sees the disciple who he loved and tells him that his, that is Jesus' mother, is now to be his mother and he is now to be her son. He's creating a new family. And as the disciple who Jesus loved, you're invited to be part of that new family which God has created. Not on the edge of it, but in the very centre. Mary Magdalene tells the disciple who Jesus loved that the tomb is empty. Well, we are that disciple. And we are invited to listen uh, to, to, to we're, we're invited to listen to her, to hear the confusion and the distress of others, and we are called like him to go and seek Jesus and the disciple who jesus loved has gone fishing but as he looks from the boat at the shore he sees and recognizes the risen lord jesus standing there and he tells the others it is the lord we're invited to see and to tell and one final one peter having been told of what will happen to him at the end of his life how he will be taken somewhere Uh, and he will be led somewhere he doesn't want to go, and it says Jesus is talking about the fact that he will be crucified at the end of his life. Peter then immediately looks at John, except we're told he looks at the disciple who Jesus loved, and says, what about him? What about him? And Jesus tells him, mind your own business. Why? Because that is between God and God. And you. Please do not think of Jesus as some senior official who, if you are particularly persistent or fortunate, or if you're good enough, or if you give enough, will give you a few minutes of his or her time. When Jesus lived on earth, he was, of course, bound by space and time. He could only be in one place at one time, focusing on one person. And usually he came to people rather than them coming to him. But after his resurrection, after his ascension, he becomes so much bigger. By his spirit, he can give his complete attention to you and to you and to you and to me and we are the community of the beloved. It is his love that has brought us together. He came from heaven to earth for you, and he came from heaven to earth for me. He stripped himself of all power and privilege, and he knelt down and washed your feet and my feet. He sacrificed himself on the cross to take away your sin and to take away my sin. He was lifted up on that cross for you and for me. He rose for you and he rose for me. How can I begin to love you? Especially if naturally I have nothing in common with you, or you don't particularly like me and I don't particularly like you, or if I've hurt you and you've hurt me, How can we begin to look at each other and really begin to delight in each other? Well, I guess it helps when we begin to realise that I am beloved by the Lord Jesus and you are beloved by the Lord Jesus. I am only here because Jesus loved me and you are only here because Jesus loved you. It helps me when I begin to realise that I am the disciple who Jesus loved, and that you are the disciple who Jesus loved. Secondly, we need to realize with the help of the Spirit that we have a shared longing. Jesus says, I am with you a little longer. You will look for me. He's speaking of his crucifixion. But when they discover that the tomb is empty, when they remember that he said that he would rise from the dead, they do go to look for him. But later, after his resurrection, Jesus tells them that he is going away again and that he will then return. And for 2,000 years, his people have waited for him, looked for him and longed for him. We pray Your kingdom come. At the very, very end of the Bible, the very last words of the Bible, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And the response of the writer is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is our longing. We long to meet with him here and now. We long to be filled afresh by his Holy Spirit. We long to see those glimpses of the kingdom of God coming in power with miracles and healings and transformations. And we long for his coming again, when we will finally be set free from sin, when this creation will be set free from decay and death. We long for his kingdom. We long to see him, to be with him. When you have a shared longing it overcomes many differences and brings you together think of a crowd at a football match you know think of all those Watford fans yesterday evening they had a shared longing it was a hopeless longing but it was a shared longing they deeply, deeply desired that their team would beat Manchester City. And for 90 minutes, um, whoever they were, wherever they came from, whatever their background, they were brought together with this shared longing. As I said, it was a hopeless longing. Uh, and yet the hope that we have is a hope that is certain and sure it is that the Lord Jesus will come and it is that hope that brings us together not just for 90 minutes but for all our lives indeed as we grow older that hope can become stronger one of the people who mentored me died uh, a year ago And I know when I used to go to see him, that he would speak so longingly of wanting to go home. That was his desire, his longing to be with Jesus. Some of us may occasionally have those mini-encounters with the Lord Jesus now, but if they're real encounters then they'll increase that deeper longing to know him and be with him. How can we love one another? Well, we need to recognize in each other, even if we disagree on many different things, we need to recognize our shared longing for the Lord Jesus. And thirdly, we need to recognize that we have a shared glory. If we love someone, if you delight in them, dream of them and long for them, then we seek their glory and they are our glory. I love myself and I seek glory for myself. I tell everybody how wonderful I am. Well, that of course is a very pathetic sort of glory. We love our country or our city or our team and we glorify them. If you support the football team who I support, that's also a particularly sad sort of glory. We love another person and we glorify them. We want everybody to know how wonderful they are. Well, what we see in our passage is, and here you see my really rather feeble drawings, (laughs) a circle of glory. We have God and we have the Son of Man. Jesus is called Son of Man here because he's the true representative of humanity. He's a human person living life, a God-created human being, a life that God created human beings to live, a life of love. So Jesus says, now the Son of Man has been glorified. This is verse 31, 32 of our reading. Now the Son of Man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Now that's complex. I know somebody who wrote a PhD thesis on just those verses. But all I want us to see is to hear that there is a circle of glory. Because they love each other, the glory of son of man is the glory of God. And the glory of God is the glory of son of man. They are the glory of the other. When Jesus is glorified, God is glorified. When God is glorified, Jesus his son is glorified. And as members of the people of God, we have a reason to love each other because we are part of each other in Jesus. You are my glory, whether I like it or not, because we're in Jesus. I am your glory whether you like it or not, because we are in Jesus. That is why it is so tragic that instead of loving each other in the church, we are so often jealous of each other. As a pastor, I'm jealous of those churches that are larger or more dynamic or more influential, or we're jealous of each other's gifts or opportunities or friendships or position or praise. But that jealousy or envy is so destructive it is destructive of others of the church of god and of ourselves we get trapped in that cycle of shame i pull them down and in pulling them down i'm pulling myself down and one of the ways to break that destructive cycle is to give glory to the other It's to do something for their good that will increase them and bless them. It's to speak good of them and not bad. Perhaps if you struggle with somebody, what you should be doing is praying for an opportunity to do them good and to praise them, really praise them. One of the illustrations I often use at weddings, I'm really pleased that we've got here a couple, Hazel, who was our, our pastoral uh, uh, assistant uh, in my previous parish, and, and Emma, her, uh, who, uh, her, her daughter, are here. And uh, it's lovely to have you here, first of all. Thank you for coming. But secondly, delightful, because Emma, I, I, I married Emma. Not No, I married Alison, but I married, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, uh, and um, one of the illustrations that I often use at weddings, and I sort of use something similar to this uh, at Emma and Steve's wedding, is the difference between a dodgy footballer at, at a corner and a ballet dancer. The dodgy footballer, when the ball comes, uh, when the ball comes in from a corner, jumps on his opponent's shoulders to push them down so that he can go higher and head the ball. But the ballet dancer, I think in your case, I used rugby, rugby players, or the light out. But the ballet dancers gather round one of their colleagues and lift her or him up. And I say to the couple, you are now in the business of lifting each other up. When one of you is lifted up, the other is lifted up. You share their glory. It's hard to love, to love at a soul level, especially if we find the other person difficult. But it is much easier to choose to seek the glory of the other person. It's much easier to choose to exalt, lift up our brother or sister, our colleague, our neighbouring church. And when we do that we discover two things. We begin to share their glory and we begin to find that we actually do love them how do i begin to love my christian brother or sister well by the power of the holy spirit i need to remember that i am and that you are beloved i need to recognize that we have a shared longing that longing for the lord jesus and i need to recognize and make the decision that i will seek your glory. Father God, would you please help us to love one another. Amen.